welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to uh, another Jogo Bonito podcast. This time it will be the Football Social. Uh, today we are focusing on Chelsea, their transfers, both from an organisational point of view, from a player, player perspective, uh, and try and work out how we can fit together Chelsea's best 11, who needs to be trimmed from the squad, um, and is Potter the right man for the job? Um, with us today, we have Anchi Man Joshi again. Hello, Anchi. Hello, hello. Uh, obviously, Sebastian as well. Sebastian's joining us from Germany. How are you, Seb? Hello. And this would not be correct to do without our very own in-house Chelsea fan, Kade Smith, who's making his debut today. Yeah, I hope I, I could have made a better a better appearance with better news and better times, <laughs> but here we go. Yeah, I mean, we thought we've, we've been roasting you in the group chat about Chelsea's uh, transfer shenanigans and playing shenanigans. So we thought we'd at least give you the right to defend yourself in public. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So we're going to look at, um, set the scene of who they've bought in the summer, who came in in January and talk about these contract lengths and maybe some transfers that we like from a financial point of view, some transfers that we like from a player on field perspective and some ones that we might disagree with so any opinions off you go guys well I, I think for me personally it's uh, it's been a bit of an up and down roller coaster ride to be honest with you um, just being a Chelsea fan really just kind of trying to trying to absorb the last year you know I think it was just about a year ago we were we were close to going into liquidation and I think the, the rest of the footballing worlds was their hands were in the air in jubilation um, and then big man Todd Bowley came came to save the day. So, um, yeah, so that first summer window was a little bit chaotic. But I, I also believe that there's there should be some nuance attached to that, you know, obviously with the fact that we weren't allowed to have any sort of action in the, in the market. We couldn't even sell sell beer, let alone sell players. So we had to come in and try and make some some, some changes. Obviously, Rudiger and Christensen left. Uh, the, the departure of Timo Werner. Um, just the, the, the looming issues with our midfields, with injuries and players that probably don't necessarily fit the role anymore. So we were having to try and build a team with a manager who hasn't really been known to build teams. So um, so obviously we brought in Koulibaly. That was a, a very, very suspect signing. I guess in hindsight, obviously when we brought him in, it was... Um, you know, I, there was I, I could understand the rationale behind it because we, we were going to miss a leader, especially on that left side with Rudiger leaving. So that that felt like it felt like a natural a natural swap really when we brought him in. Obviously, Wesley Fofana, um, we brought him in for quite a bit of money as well. But for me personally, even looking at that signing, I, I thought he was I thought he's a quality defender. But you know, to to pay that much for someone who is as injury prone as he is was always going to kind of bring up some 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 eyebrows. So for me personally, it was it was always going to be a bit of a, a, a give and go. But if kept fit you know, that could have been a, a nice little shining star for us. But again, hindsight is, is a beautiful thing. Um, and yeah, yeah. So, and, and I think for me as well, just obviously when we're looking at, you know, the, the players up front, you bring in someone like Raheem Sterling. For me personally, I thought that that was, that was going to be a, a pretty nice addition to the team. I still think that there's, there's a, lot, a lot for him to give. I mean, some may argue as well that he may have, you know, gone off the boil a little bit at Man City, but I think that new challenge would have been good. So it's a bit of a hit and miss, to be honest with you. It's a bit of a hit and miss, but I can see Sebastian wants to, wants to have a bit of a chat with that. So, um, but yeah, 
again, it's going to be a bit hard to judge with that summer transfer window. The January window is a bit is a bit of a different scenario, but we can obviously get into that a bit later. Yeah, just to build on that, the uh, from an organizational point of view, we have to look at the two transfer windows slightly differently. Obviously, the summer one was basically without a recruitment structure in place and Todd Bowley taking on the role of chief instigator of whatever the hell that was that was going on in the summer. Um, and to use the sort of grade, the grading system that Chris has uh, laid out for us, I've graded every 18-year-old the club has signed as an unsure because most of them I don't really know much about. And the money that was paid for them is in the sort of punt range that you can't really declare it as good or bad. It's a sort of outcome-based situation. So from the signings that were left from that summer crop, at least, Raheem Sterling is a good investment for me. He's probably Chelsea's best attacking profile they have in the squad currently from the ones they have permanently. Um price, age, from every point of view, that is a good, sensible signing the club has made. Uh, Koulibaly, I've had him down as bad organiz- as bad on an on-field perspective, obviously knowing that what we know. But even from an organizational point of view, I had him down as an unsure at best, signing someone at 31 on a very big contract for what is it three plus one they gave him so he's got a he's got a contract till 2026 with a club option for another year and his salary is reportedly two hundred and ninety five thousand pounds a week for a at the time 31 so that carries in one until 34 at least potentially 35 on money that makes a player who's having a season that is not very good basically unshippable Yes. That's it, yeah. Uh, similarly, Obama Young was a car crash with a big warning sign on it three days after his signing, signing someone for a manager who you're deciding to sack three days after it, after a game in which it was reported that they've made that decision beforehand. So these, I don't quite buy the he was specifically a Tuchel player. And if that argument goes, then that's just a bad signing all around, giving him a two-year deal. He seems, from the media reports, that he's someone they are able to shift somewhere in the summer. So that alleviates some of it. It still gives you a a slight loss on balance that it's basically a free trade with Marcus Alonso. There's not really any monetary loss there just the wages that have been eaten up for six months where he's probably not going to play anymore um and that leaves us the two young-ish guys in wesley fofana who kate has already mentioned is a good player i have reservations about calling him an elite central defensive prospects if you compare him with those guys that we are dubbing elite central defensive prospects like a Ronald Araujo or a William Saliba, he's not quite at that level. 
either in an as an athletic profile or as a ball player. He's an in-between, very good player, coming off a leg break. Signing that profile for 80 million is problematic on a organizational point of view, even if the signing turns out to be worthwhile in the long run. Similarly with Mark Kukurea, who was a relatively necessary signing from a squad perspective, seeing there was no left-back cover after Marcus Alonso left, and having someone who can play a more um, transition-defense-focused role rather than a purely attacking one makes sense. Again, a price thing and a question mark if there wasn't an alternative to be found in the summer for not 60 million but even then he was someone who you could have argued would be worth the money we're looking at it through a six-month hindsight period view which obviously doesn't put him in the best light considering his form so very mixed summer window with none no player who has actually turned out great six months into the process i'd say yeah, yeah, I think I think that's a, it's, I think that's one thing that uh, we need to consider that maybe the strategy might have been coming in. These are the holes and the gaps in the squad that we have from losing players like Rudiger, Christensen, and Alonso. I mean, all the other players that went out in that summer, and Timo Werner, the other players that went out in that summer were people uh, like Batshuayi or Gilmore. Long, you know, not necessarily part of the first team squad. Um, they've not saved any money from the transfers in terms of gaining finance because a lot of them for low low budgets low moves uh they have actually if you look at their net spend on wages they're actually they spent to you know twenty thousand more net on wages players coming in than the players that they shipped off um does do we think that maybe transfer strategy was to look around premier league proven players as opposed to elsewhere in the summer is that a fair assumption to, to make it seems like it kind of i mean you're definitely right in saying it's more of a filling gaps situation because there's no other real discernible strategy behind the signings that were made some you have to correct me here before i say something stupid was the obama yang signing before or after brochure broke his, uh, tore his ACL before okay so that negates that somewhat seeing him as a stopgap would have made at least some monicum of sense but yeah it seemed like Sterling Koulibaly Kukurea Aubameyang to an extent and Fofana are immediate replacements for the lost guys while buying two punts in Chukwameka and Slonina. Go on, Kaylish, you've got your hand up. I, I feel some defending coming on. No, not at all. There's no defending here, to be honest with you. I um, I actually agree very avidly with what Seb has said, actually, in regards to the strategy. Um, and I just really want to add to that, really, because I, I believe that, you know, there's there's the, the noise when people say about Todd Bowley playing football manager. And uh, I have to, I have to actually agree. <laughs> I have to actually agree. I, 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 he, he came in, he came into the club and went to Tuchel and said, "Right, what do we need right now? 
okay, we need a centre-back. We need two centre-backs. Okay, let's get two centre-backs in. Okay, we need a, a Ben Chilwell replacement just in case he gets injured. Let's get in Cucurella. Um, you know, okay, Timo Werner's gone. Let's, let's try and bring in an, an, another attacker who's multifaceted and a striker. So it's clear, I mean, obviously, if you to just look at it on paper, it's clear to see that there was somewhat of a strategy. But this is what happens when you have someone who's new to the game. Bearing in mind, you know, this, this, this person has not been in, in football. This is his first time. Um, you know, and as a Chelsea fan, I can appreciate the fact that he did try to, to do his best. But, you know, just again, hindsight is a beautiful thing. And when we're looking at how everything has progressed, we can see that a lot of those things hasn't really worked out for now in, 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 in the short term. Um, whether, you know, someone like a Fofano or a Cucurella or even a, even a Sterling when he gets back to form, time will only tell in regards to how well that's going to play out. But yeah, no, I just wanted to just to add to that with what Seb said. I, I think it's very, very true, and it's it's gonna it's gonna be very interesting to see how that pans out. As a question, would you have preferred as a Chelsea fan to seen some restra- restraint by the club until they had sorted out their backroom staff situation, or are we, are we okay with at least the attempt to plug the holes in the squad that were unable to be plugged? Very good question. It's a, it's a tough one, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, there's always the devil and the angel on my shoulders right now. So I think any fan would love to see their owners spend money. So I guess that, that, that's the one part of it. But if anyone's heard, if anyone's heard my opinion on, on, on that, I've always longed for stability and structure. Those are the two main things that I've always longed for, especially since um, the departure of Emanalo. We, we seem to have kind of lost our way a little bit um, when it comes to, you know, having some sort of long-term plan or philosophy. So, yeah. in the interim, I think the, the, the plan was always to have Tuchel, I guess, as the coach for the, for, the forecom- for the forthcoming future, especially after that whole embargo with the sanctions. He was pretty much on board with the project. The, and I use that, I, I say that quite lightly, the project. So, it was good to see that we had an owner who was trying to cover up the gaps. But what, had, what that's shown especially now, and I'm going to keep mentioning hindsight, but what that has shown is that it almost kind of leads into the, the negative feelings I've had about the lack of structure. So I, would have, I probably would have liked for us, for us to have been a bit, more, a bit more wary in the market, but at the same time, we were also in a position where teams around us were strengthening and we had to try and at least stay somewhat competitive. Though some may argue that sitting 10th right now and barely hanging on in the Champions League wouldn't class as being competitive, but... You know, I guess, like I said, hindsight is a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Because in hindsight, if you knew you were going to finish 10th anyway, you probably would have gone, let's not spend 281 million on players and we'll just sit with the squad and then we'll try and do what we can do in January and, you know, we'll survive this year. 100%, yeah. But yeah, I'm interested, Anshu, any opinions you have on any any in the summer? Would you like us to move on to the fun January window? Well, uh, I think the summer window needs to be talked about just a bit more because uh, I think when you look at the num- number of players long enough, you realise that in hindsight, it's, it feels mad because of what has transpired in January, but it's not that mad of a window because you you look at the kind of players that are arriving early in the transfer window. So you have Raheem Sterling arriving in July, you have Kaidu Kulibali arriving in July. Both of those transfers make sense because Lukaku is going out the door, Chelsea are losing two of their defenders. So it, it makes sense for, for 
for them to for uh, look at the predicament they are in in the summer so they don't have a def- uh, sporting structure in place so they come out and say okay we are losing a forward let's get a forward we are losing a main central defender let's get a, a proven central defender so they're getting Koulibaly at this point I think it still makes quite a lot of sense the, the Gabriel Solina signing we have to assume that they may have done their due diligence in the back Kani Chukumeka again an up and coming player from Aston Villa didn't see enough of him to be able to warrant whatever the, the kind of price that he went for and uh, uh, it's more of the August signings that start in, start uh, like interesting you because from uh, the arrival of Mark Kukurea, okay, that can be said that on the left hand side you require a proper replacement the, for, for Ben Chilwell because he's also coming off an injury. Then you come to the end of the transfer window and then there is Wesley Fofana going for 80 million and that's where you start thinking, okay, what the hell's going on here? Because uh, like Seb has already pointed out, uh, there's a player that has suffered a leg break. And uh, ACL and leg breaks are the kind of injuries that uh, in recuperation you need to assess the player from a slightly different lens and understand how they are acclimatizing to this uh, physical change because we often don't think enough about how uh, problematic and how dangerous these injuries are. And for for common folk, it's it's hard enough to be able to uh, have these work done and then come back at all. And for the athletes, we just expect them to work, work uh, for, without going through any kind of change. So that's never going to happen either. So Wesley Fofana is the signing from which you start thinking, okay, there's something very weird going on. Then then is Zakaria, which uh, it this uh, at the time felt more like a thing that Juventus wanted to do because of their bookkeeping thing rather than something Chelsea were more interested in. They feel, again, it's it's more of a signing that they decided they'll go for anyway because in January also he was available from Gladbach and uh, Obama Young when it happens I think uh, that's where we start really thinking okay well, what is the Todd Meister thinking about here because uh, that's uh, <laughs> we, uh, we have talked about the fact that it I cannot for one moment accept that, that Chelsea argument that they made that this was not a signing purely for Thomas Tuchel but it also in, in a way it makes sense because they were in the in the uh, plans for going to sack Tuchel but if you it again, if you are thinking of a long-term signing, if you are thinking of a signing for, in general, going for a forward, why go for a Bamiyong? And uh, if you are not thinking of if you are, if you have brought this for Tuchel, why sack him three days later? So uh, you have uh, in in a in a situation here because there is no sporting structure in place, which is understandable, and there is the the people that have come in that are being spearheaded by Todd. He wants to work closely with Thomas Tuchel and Tuchel is not the kind of person that wants to play manager that much. He wants to be more of a coach. He wants to be just given the players and not have an active say. That sets a series of events that leads to him eventually getting sacked and uh, leaving Chelsea in a position, especially the the last few signings in a position where you would rather have not, not had them if Tuchel was to be kept in charge. So, uh, so the moment Tuchel goes out and Graham Potter comes in, I think uh, you start understanding that uh, this is something that's going to take time. And this is something that we, we would have said and we had said at the time when the, the, the Bowley Consortium came in at the time as well, that it, it is going to take time. And uh, one of the things that has struck out for me in the January transfer window, if we are to segue into that a bit, is that uh, Todd Bowley is trying to microwave a, uh, a season that in a way that doesn't happen like uh, you cannot uh, uh, onboard 10 players expect them to play uh, in the first team straight away 
because that that's just not how team dynamics work at all you it's easier to acclimate acclimate one or two players into a squad that knows each other from from the beginning rather than buying 10 different players and throw them into the forest and expect them to work out so it's a it's a situation that was already going to be very challenging and uh, it has gone even more challenging because of the actions that Boli has taken. I don't think it has improved the situation a bit. But the players that he has bought in, I think they are exciting players individually. And it would be easier to make a, a, a team out of them on paper. But I'm not sure how it's going to turn out in the long run when they are playing together. Because you look at the likes of Mikhailo Mudrik and Enzo Fernandez who, who, who have become transfer record-breaking numbers without really having that much of a time in their previous clubs as well so that is a slightly worrying thing because again we'll come to the amortization part which will further explain why these signings will be challenging for Chelsea in the long term but yeah like the summer transfer window is is one which feels like okay they are trying to solve a situation solve a problem that they have at hand and uh, January is just where they think that, that if we keep spending money at the problem the problem will disappear which is something that just does not happen so yeah, that the summer one made sense uh, up until a bit, then it didn't. January mostly just doesn't. It's just very amusing for, for a non-Chelsea fan, but it's uh, otherwise it's just to form. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense in a realistic point of view. Is there a case for the um, open negotiations that were leaked with various players that end up going to Barcelona instead, <laughs> causing panic because the three transfers that were pointed out as this doesn't make any sense occurred on the 31st of August, the 1st of September and the 1st of September, right at the end. And secondarily, um, to yes and on the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, maybe being more club-based and Tuchel-based, um, with Tuchel's um, reputation that's been reported multiple times in media, whether it's right or wrong, we can only assume that they're correct. Is there a case that with Todd Bowley, a person who likes to work in long-term situations as with his other franchises looked at that personality and went maybe no and i'd rather do this now than in six months or a year time because it's going to happen anyway 100 percent, 100 percent, um 100 one thing that i will say uh with this and, and, and anyone can really disagree or agree with me on this i think too cool is he is the last he is the last part of that of the old ra um era so when I look at Thomas Tuchel, I, I see him as someone that is the person to bring in to to, to have a now sort of a now problem. If, you, if it's a problem now, we want to fix it now. Um, and one thing that I've seen with the, the new era that we're in right now with Chelsea is that it's about changing the philosophy, changing the culture. Um, and with that shift, it means that we are now looking at the long term. And, and we're actually really seeing that, especially in January. And then obviously with the the... the, the bringing in Graham Potter and his team, that is the long-term vision. So, yeah, I mean, the moment that we started to see those shifts, I do remember having a conversation with my brother, who's also a long-term Chelsea fan, about what we thought and how we felt this was going to go in regards to management. Because, you know, even before Thomas Tuchel came in, there was the rumours about how he struggles to to work well with the boards and how he struggles to to, to communicate his feelings. And he's quite... He's quite known to to be quite volatile. Um, you know, we were quite surprised, especially with the with, with the sanctions. We kind of thought we had a bit of a manager manager there for life. But as we started to see a shift, um, and so, and the plans being rolled out, even with Chukwemeka being brought in, we can see that there was already a plan to bring in younger players and to actually really work and 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 kind of 
kind of create a, a better bridge with, with Cobham. Um, and, and, you know, so it, it was it was always going to be a bit of a will, will they, will they? And, you know, they did. So it kind of worked out how we thought it would have. So, yeah, I believe it was a case of let's just do it now because we can see that the relationship isn't working out the way that we wanted it to. Um, and let's just take the risk. And that, and to be honest with you, some may hate it, but I, I do have to, to commend the board for doing that. It's quite brave. It's quite ballsy. Um, but like I said, time will tell to see how that actually works out in the future. On the Tuchel thing, I I would make the case that a long-term transition would have worked with Tuchel as well. It was just an unfortunate series of events that led to the eventual sacking, starting from the sanctions and his personal stress of having to deal with <clears throat> the entire media coverage of it and basically being the only source of information the public had to the club at that time and him having to take on that role and as well as having him as someone who was in a process with another structure above him already being in that process and then having him having to convince him to go back to zero and create a new entire club structure with a new board and a new owner that wants to take things in a different direction than he perhaps wanted it to. The, those factors that are basically more down to coincidence than anything else probably led to him not being the guy to do it. Um, on the late transfers, I think generally the the negative perception of the summer window was more down to the title of interim sporting director given to a guy who's never worked in football before that's probably part of it as well as just not necessarily the positions that were being filled because all of them are pretty much sensible and part of what the club's plans were even before the uh, before the takeover it's more questions about specific profiles and price tags that were brought in for example the sort of quote-unquote crazy transfers, Fofana was a direct replacement to the point you made, Chris, on losing out on Koundé to Barcelona and having to sign another right for, uh, right-sided center ill defender. Problem was extremely late in the window, a club that didn't necessarily want to sell, drove the price up immensely. Marco Correa was before that, I think, didn't really have anything to do with the Barca players. And... The third one, which was Rafinha, was basically then transported to the January window where that problem was solved and the sort of positional problem that Chelsea had was solved another way. But I think we'll come on to that. Yeah. Anshu, do you want to talk more about the summer or are you ready to move? Uh, just, uh, just a couple of things. So were the late signings were affected by the fact that quite a lot of players that they were targeting went to Barca? Yes. Because I think by the way uh, uh, Todd Bowley has moved in the market, I think we can safely assume that he's the kind of person who puts a lot of weight into looking like he's getting work done. Because he has made himself the de facto sporting director at the time where the sporting director is not there. And uh, we know that in the moment, in, in the beginning, he wanted to make a bit statement signing by going after Cristiano Ronaldo as well. But uh, Dukhal immediately said that uh, I don't want this kind of player. So th that also, I think, played a contributory part in him immediately deciding to not work with Dukhal anymore. But Tuchel's dismissal is one that slightly irks me because 
if you have decided over the course of the summer that this is not a person you want to work in the long term with why wait until the after the transfer window for to him to sack why not sack him in the middle of august because if you are working with graham potter right and if you have decided that someone like potter is more but the kind of person you would like to work with and uh, if you are willing to give this person time as well because throughout the poor performances and the average performances that uh, that, that have happened with chelsea over the past few months they are sticking with him and rightly so so this is something that you could have done having sacks to will in the middle of summer as well so why did you, didn't you just do it is is the answer not that he was too busy trying to sign players to find the time to do that the other might stuff as well be a, the the explanation for it yeah and and also because it's probably extremely difficult to sell that to the fans in the summer i think the bad start of the season definitely played a part in his dismissal even being sellable to the club or to the fans at least because imagine telling them you're going to dismiss the coach after he was the stabilizing factor throughout the entire uh sanction period yeah it was a tricky one and and, and even and even and even now you know just just the, the mood around the club right now is kind of evident of that in terms of you know how much he was loved by the masses even though you know our form has been up and down and even though you know there has been some 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 disagreements behind the scenes as well so you kind of have to make it work how, I how you do it i think the aspect would also have to go to the uh, rest of the board members that boli has to work with i think he owed him owed them an explanation as well as to which person are you going for in the long term and if you do not like this one why why stick with him because uh, uh, i think thomas sukel's dismissal at the time it happened it has only made the chelsea fans more fond of him that that is like my my opinion going looking from the outside because they're like he he yeah. he they they their uh, the general aspect on the matter is that oh, he worked for us through second thin uh, took us through a very turbulent time uh, one of the most turbulent times of the club in the recent history and uh, he was then just let go without really getting the chance to work with these players that are not now still now struggling to play with each other uh, more than half into the season so the fan aspect i think has only become more and more fond for, uh, for in favor of tukul i just uh, the the thing that the decision to sack tukul and then appoint graham potter in the in the name of long term success without having appointed a sporting director it's 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 a decision that baffles me because uh, i i think of the sporting director representing the intermediary part of the sporting hierarchy of an institution that works in tandem with the ownership above them and the coaching staff below them so this is the body that works uh, the worthy ownership and tries to gauge what their aims are and then work with the coaches and uh, tell them okay this is the kind of capital that we can get invested into the club and this is the kind of players that we we can get for you so uh people have pointed out to the fact that in for the la dodgers he has be he has had the, the his co- their coach there since 2016 but it's important to remember that the sporting director was hired in 2014 a sporting director that in name in prime in, in primarily still does not chelsea still do not have one they they, they are they have stocked the, the their the, so their department in time i think a lot a lot more people right people have come in but uh, uh, still uh, the fact that remains that these people may or may not deem porter the right person to work with and if you have decided porter is the right man for the long term who exactly do you go with in this situation when you did not appoint porter at it you appointed porter at time when the sporting directorship did not exist yeah. um to that point you make a good point but that would suggest that the sporting director that was brought in was the one that headed up the vision which 
evidently by the structure that has been put in place ever since isn't necessarily the case it because the four guys that Bowley brought in to create this new sort of structure that they've brought in that isn't really common anywhere in Europe the way Chelsea have structured themselves those four guys were largely um, earmarked before the new manager was brought in so we got Potter in and then had Paul Winstanley and Lawrence Stewart who were both titled as sporting director both of them Christopher Vivell has been brought in as technical director and Joe Shields from Southampton who only moved there in the summer um, is brought in as a recruitment and data guy that's his official title now what's interesting here is that all of them weren't the number one guy at their previous club they were all part of a structure and bringing those four in raises the question of which is a general question that the entire Chelsea strategy has posed is that there has been too much both too much change and too much attempted innovation in a single period for this to realistically work out without any flaws because we've brought in four people from four extremely different backgrounds, none of whom were the primary giver of ideas in those backgrounds. For example, Paul Winstanley at Brighton, you can't expect a single person who has worked at Brighton to bring over the entire recruitment strategy of Brighton, considering that it's reported that the sort of principal ideas that make that Brighton ecosystem so sustainable like it is are kept very very secret from everyone who works there apart from the owner himself so attempting to transplant that is impossible considering it's not even probably what is wanted to be done because a club in the position of Chelsea aren't really the position of club that are going to sign players from the Ecuadorian third division There's very much a food chain going on here in world football that those players go to Brighton to then go to Chelsea. So we're basically looking for different people there. But with this new structure and going on to January now... Exactly that, trying to get lots of people who are all coming in through the door at the same time to find common ground, build structure and build a process using their own unique, their unique experiences and methodologies from their previous departments... I think is a great explainer of what has gone on behind the scenes between the summer and January. And again, what has perceived to have gone on in January. In January, we're looking at players like Felix, David Fafana, Andre Santos, Malo Gusto, Noni Madwaki, Benoit Badiashile, Mikhail Mudrik and Enzo Fernandez. Can we discern what the plan was? I think there was one general plan that supersedes the actual sporting plan here. And Ange has touched on this, and that is making statements, because we have two very, very performative transfer sagas that have gone on here. We have the whole, um, what's his name, Berat Iqbali, I'm here in the Shakhtar Hotel and we're leaving the night with your player situation going on, as well as the, we're sieging Rui Costa's house on the last day of the transfer window story which were very performative and probably intended that way. Yeah, this is this is where the Todd Meister became the Todd father in the group chat. Yeah, a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Well, actually, I think, yeah. I think the Todd Master became... He became elite when he, he jumped into a space. It's a space on Twitter. <laughs> I think that's when he uh, became became legendary. I believe, actually, someone... I, I believe they were talking about potential transfers and someone shouted Enzo Fernandez. <laughs> and about two days later, they flew. <laughs> two days later, they flew over and thought, we were going to kidnap Rui Costa's family and we were going to make sure we get this deal over the line. So... It's been it's been a very very exciting and nerve wracking January. Um, I just obviously another just aspect add... of the performative situation. Yes, one hundred jumping on 100%. Twitter spaces to hear 100%. the fans out. One hundred percent. And I, you know what, it's, it's hard for me to disagree. To be honest with you, I, I I would have liked for things to just slow down a little bit because what we are, what we you find ourselves putting ourselves into is you brought in a new coach who historically is known to it takes time for him to develop his tactics and to develop his philosophy and what we've done is we we, we brought him into a club that's already searching for stability and searching for a spine top to bottom not just within the team itself but throughout the structure Um, you know just to kind of go back quickly in regards to the recruitment team the plan was always to bring in a director of football but obviously Michael Edwards wasn't available so you know I, I think it's a case now where you're almost kind of just putting pieces together until until we bring someone else in that fits the philosophy. Um, I'm not too I'm not too worried about that as such at this moment in time. I think that that's just going to be a, a a slow build. But like I said before, it is really about changing and, and and creating a new philosophy where we're seeing Chelsea now having to try to look a bit more to the future. But anyway, bringing it back to the to the January transfer window. That's not necessarily just for the future, though. No signing is over 23, except for Joao. No, not even Joao, isn't he? Yeah, so all are under 23 or 23. So we are seeing a sort of strategy here. And even most, not most, but some of the positions were prescient needs. As I said, they bombed on Rafinha in the summer, so decided to positionally fill the gap with Noni Madueke, as well as signing Mikhail Modric for shits and giggles, and also because both Christian Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech proved unreliable throughout the season. Yeah. Yeah. And ZH was all ZH was supposed to be on his way out. He was he was at PSG. He was in Paris. He was at he was there. He was he was actually in he was in the reception. Yeah, yeah. He, he he's he was already gone. But more generally here, before we talk about names specifically, what I think slash hope happened here is that they've moved a summer window up a bit to rescue a season that wasn't really rescuable. But to give them credit, at the start of January, that unrepairable damage seemed a little more repairable at that time. The problem you create if you bring an entire transfer window forward is that you're buying in a market that inherently boosts every price up a bit. 
and that's where you have to move in with the sorcery on FFP and amortization by giving everyone a 10-year deal until they're basically retired. Um, Most of these players that were brought in in January have a sense to them, right? Enzo Fernandez was brought in as a quasi-Jorginho replacement considering they let him go, although positionally they're not really... um, they're not. They don't play the same way in that in that space. Yeah, they're not similar in their position, somewhat. But Modric filled a squad need, considering they needed to move on one or two of their wingers. Benoit Badiashile was the Koulibaly of the summer, and from a business perspective, probably the best deal they've done. Yeah, giving him a long deal doesn't really seem bad for his age. The price is right on market yes. value, if not even a bit short on market value for what you get from a central defender left-footed with that skill set. Malogusto was and a squad need that needed filling badly with Reese James's injury problems. He's 19 and, and he went back on loan to Leon. Phenomenal player. Yeah. Currently, currently injured, though. Currently yeah, injured. yeah. Well, he, well, he's Jesus in England Christ. doing his recovery from injury, but in, he's registered oh, to no. Lyon. And then we have two punts in Andre Santos and David Trofana. The only signing that I genuinely think was not thought out well enough and is actually bad is probably their best player they're currently having, and that's Jean-Felix. Because you're bringing in a player on a lot of salary on a very hefty £11 million um, loan fee for six months in a season that, at the point he was signed seemed unrescuable now that's all fine if you are in a position to sign him in the summer but considering you're missing out on Champions League football in the summer and all Jean has said since coming into Chelsea is basically babbling on about the Champions League as well as Atletico extending his contract and putting themselves in a position to ask for stupid money were they to let him go were Simeone to stay stay on and him wanting to go creates a situation where a renewal above the summer seems unlikely at best and at that point that signing is a logistical nightmare especially considering you're bringing in a player that is very very similar stylistically in the summer anyway in Christopher Nkunku that is not confirmed. It's that, that is percent confirmed. We've yeah. had like five here we goes on him. Oh yeah. But, yeah. but we've heard all but done before. And I, I until yeah, I and, I've got PTSD. But apparently until he signed I, a pre contract, didn't he? But, but apparently. I, I I believe it all when it becomes out into the light of day. At the moment I'm still I still refuse to believe uh, he signed pre-contracts and it's all the all rest of it. It's all but done, which means he's going um, to Barca. Because so, we, I don't know yeah. if that's true or not, because nobody said he's anything. He's off to Barca. He's off to Barca. It's not come out in public, so for me, I'm disregarding that from the conversation until until it does do. Yeah, but even if you discount the Nkunku signing, that Jean Felix loan still seems a bit nonsensical from every direction you spin it other than him just being a good footballer you have for six months in a season where you're not really achieving anything yeah it it, it does come across as a bit of an inshallah move by by the Chelsea by the Chelsea board 
yeah, I, uh, the Joao think the the only victors there are Atleti because they are they have sent him on a loan. They have no obligation to comply to with any kind of fee. They, if they get if they get him back, Simeone is being uh, touted about as someone who's about who has to move at this point. So if he goes and Cholo a- actually comes in and they start uh, and he will be b- building the team around Joao Felix. So that that sorts out Joao and both Atleti. So Chelsea are not the outright winners in this situation. They are uh, it's a very expensive gamble and uh, from there the question becomes about uh, sustainability of this kind of investment because one thing that we need to keep in mind is that Todd Bowley popping into Twitter spaces buying players yeah. making a statement he is trying to appease to a fan base that is going to have a very hard time acclimatizing to the current predicament given what they are coming from because uh, this is a this is a club that used to see their managers walk out regardless whether you are Carlo Ancelotti or you are Roberto Di Matteo it doesn't really matter where what kind of pedigree you have because as long as you are winning you are in the moment the results stop coming you are out and that was a very easy transactional acceptable relationship for the managers the fans and the club in general now that is not going to happen because the consortium that has come in the investment that they are going to put is heavily predicated upon the revenue the club will generate hence the fan fans appeasement so uh, that or keeping all of those things in mind the thing that really worries me here is that okay you have signed all of these players but the problem with appeasing the fans is that once you have brought all of these players now there will be a level of expectation and that is the level of expectation that you will not be able to match in the coming years a because you just can't keep spending this kind of money and buy 25 players every season and expect things to work out b the kind of investment that you have made because we have we we have reached the point that we talk about that these players are on 10 year contracts 7 year contracts have their contracts officially ex- expiring at the time that they reach the 30s become veterans the problem with amortizing their contracts with these many lengths is uh, that the, their value depreciates very slowly so uh, if their value is depreciating more slowly you are going to accrue a lot more losses on all of those signings that do not work out in the long term so yeah yeah yeah. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt there quickly because outside yeah. of the Enzo Fernandez and the Mudrick deal, yeah. all the deals are sub forty million euros. Yeah. So that although that's true yeah. for two of the transfers and the two most high profile transfers, I I, I I don't think that's fair to say for all of them because most that of them are fair. below forty million fair. euros. And yeah. if you're if you're if you're spreading that over over ten years, that's four million a year. That's you're getting your money back if they become half even if they don't reach potential i believe you can recoup a fair chunk yeah. of the money so yeah they, that that is that is a fair argument that the kind of loss that you are going to accrue on these investments might not be that that bad uh, the mudrik and fernandez uh, example that's still something that really uh, worry me because let's say that the rest of the uh, long term investments actually work out at 10 you sub- some kind of substantial profit these two still are very very likely to not work out because basically we have not seen enough of them to be able to talk about whether these players warranted as big a transfer fees as ended up being uh, 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 attached to them and we have seen what kind of especially from a point of perception how it affects the players and the players images because we have seen Paul Pogba uh, the way he's being talked about uh, when he was at Manchester United because he was bought for 100 million despite producing very similar numbers and we see the kind of uh, reputation Harry Maguire now has because of the something that is not in his control the same thing that has happened to Wesley Fofana that i hope doesn't end up in the same way that it ended with Maguire so 
that the uh, a a the argument is that the 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 they are going to accrue a bit more losses on these investments which let's say let's accept that okay we can as we can consume this we can bear with this the sustainability argument still i because i cannot see chelsea spending this kind of money again in the next season because because uh, that is the that is the nature of the consortium that has come in that is not a nation funded uh, state funded sports washing project so the money is not infinite so how exactly yeah. do you expect to sustain this kind of influx if whether you are even trying to because when you are buying 20 players in a season it there's a there's a larger chance of things to not work out so what is your contingency going forward if you uh, if you are throwing money at this and the chances are stacked against you how does it work out what is your contingency that things don't work because you have to have one you cannot have this this big a project and not have one plan yes i've gone i think we have to differentiate between the two high profile signings they're obviously linked in their theatrical prelude to them actually signing but with enzo his talent and his level at the senior game was so apparent even before joining Benfica that his signing at any price will seem at least sensible by the time he left Chelsea. The only problem here is the perception problem of him becoming a target after the World Cup and eventually signing for his release clause, which is mad considering that had they waited till the summer, they probably would have gotten him for at least 30% less than what they've gotten him anyway. Not if they didn't make Champions League. Yeah, and this is is the point that I wanted to make as well. But, all right, yeah, yeah. That's the one thing. The other thing is Modric. And here's where I have big problems. Because I'm an Arsenal fan. And we wanted to sign this player. And I hated the idea of it. Because you are signing a player with evident qualities, whose qualities are more physical than anything, who has played sub-30 games in the senior game, and has had a season where the entire strategy of this football team was to inflate his value to eventually ship him off to sustain the long-term future of the football club he was playing at and you're signing him on superstar money both wage-wise and transfer fee-wise for a player that well his wages are reportedly only a hundred thousand a week 97 yeah. the wage is less so than the transfer fee i concede but you're still signing someone both theatrically as a superstar with him flying in a day after the hijack and from the transfer fee wise for a player that is so raw that you cannot immediately ask him to have a tangible impact into the team. Yeah, totally. And even so, there is no guarantee that he can develop the traits needed for him to become a superstar level t- a superstar level player at this team in this situation especially considering this is very much a work in progress and at least three or four of the guys that are signed this season in the one season rebuild will be gone by the time the rebuild has concluded you know i I agree i I think the mudrick uh deal is always going to raise a couple of eyebrows um and i think one thing that i have seen is that you know 
the, the recruitment team as well as Todd Bowley has definitely taken a, a few punts. Um, however, if we were to kind of just look at look at that from 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 the grand scheme in terms of in terms of all of the signs in in, in January, we're looking at Malagusto, someone who is incredibly talented. I do believe that City were also looking um, looking at him as well um, to to kind of give that 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 backup option for Reese James and also even to challenge him. There may be even opportunities for Reese James to go into midfield or if we were to transfer into a, into a back five for him to play as the the right sided centre back. So there's options there for us to kind of. Um, bring in that flexibility that Graham Potter loves to play with. Your profile-wise now also in a position where you have a recovery defender on each side and a very expansive profile on each side with Ben Chilwell and Malagusto slash Reese James and uh, Kukurea who are very, very physical specimens to have that athletic aggression in defensive transition. Definitely. So it, it really gives us a lot of options, especially in, 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 both phases, in both phases. Then we're looking at someone like Badia Shile who... To be honest with you, I was one of the Chelsea fans that was a little bit suspicious about that signing. Obviously, I, I, I have watched him a lot in Monaco. I do, I do rate him. There were a few er- errors in his game, um, and that was shown, I think, a couple of times, especially in Southampton. Um, however, you know, we have someone like Levy Colville, who I have been waxing lyrical about for a very, very long time. So the question is, what happens to him? Where, where is his place in the team when he does come back from, from loan? So... But what we've seen so far is that there's, there's, a, there's a good a good player there, someone who is very easily, um, I wouldn't even say led, but someone who can learn very quickly on the fly. Um, Enzo Fernandez is someone that I've been a massive fan of, even before the World Cup, especially over his time with Benfica. I watched a, a lot of him um, in the Champions League. Yes, a, a slightly different profile to, to Jorginho. I mean, in terms of, 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 of being the person that can tick over the pace but at the same time has a bit more of an attacking profile as well in the final third which is something that we haven't had at Chelsea for a very long time with our midfielders when you look at someone like Kovacic, Kante um, even someone like a Jorginho it, it kind of offers a, a very very different profile um, to type of, even though now we, we, we need preferably a DM to sit alongside him questions with Zachary if, if, if we're going to keep him or not um, Noni Madueke, I haven't really seen a lot of him, obviously, when he was playing in PSV, but from what I have seen, he, he he's a bit, bit lively on the right, someone that gives us that 1v1 attacking threat, again, which we haven't really had for a very long time, so a nice profile for us to have. So I can see what is what the plan is, um, and like Christopher, like Chris has actually said in regards to, yes, there's a very, very long contract involved, but... One of the biggest things that the, the new board have definitely, you know, said is that we want to make sure that the wage bill is being brought down. So, you know, Enzo Fernandez is on just over 100K, 100K, I believe that, um, 180. Well, I mean, I'll give him that. Just much. over 100. Just over. It's it's 180 according to FB Ref and whatever. I can't remember what the website is that they get their Capology. source from. So that's one of the most reliable ones, yes. That's the Capology. one. It's called. Yeah, I, I pulled. I, I pulled all the data on a big Excel spreadsheet as a bit behind this, <laughs> behind the scenes for, for everyone. So we and obviously Mudrick's on ninety-seven. So it is a punt. It seems like a punt at, at, at least. But what we have, what I do see, if we just kind of just lay everything on the table, we brought in someone um, by the name of Graham Potter who who has been known to develop players. You know, we, we've seen what he's done over over the past few years. So the plan, obviously, is to stick with him. Even now, with, with the bad form that we are in, there is a recurring, a recurring message from the boards that they are planning on sticking behind him. 
Now, that may change if, if we lose the next four games. We, we don't know. We may be having a very different conversation. But it seems that even though we brought in some game changes like an Enzo Fernandez, like a, a Jar Felix, and I do agree that that is a, an up and down signing. We don't know what's going to happen. We're bringing in someone like Nkunku, who is a very similar profile, who likes to play just behind the striker. But we're also then not considering who's actually going to be leaving in the summertime as well. There's going to be a lot of outgoings. Maybe not as much, many as we would want to see in the summer, but there is going to be a, a, a lot of outgoings um, happening. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a punt, but anyone could really see right now that the chances of us getting Champions League unless we, you know, go in a run in the actual Champions League and win it, chances are we're probably not going to, to be in a Champions League next season. So could that be the fact that the board is maybe has the hindsight to say, well, actually... Let's just try and get as many targets, many of our targets as we can in the January window so that we can start to at least build a pattern and actually create a structure, start to remove some of the players that have been, you know, on and off in this team for a very long time, remove that image of player power and allow Potter the, the freedom and the platform to actually build his style. Um, but like I said, you know, a, a lot of this, we are looking maybe, maybe a bit too far into the future. But at the same time, there, there does seem to be a bit of a pattern there in terms of, of, of structure there. But, you know, it's a bit, it, is, it is a bit superstar. It is a bit in your face. And obviously Todd Bowley, a.k.a. the Toddmeister, does like to kind of add a bit of a sparkle to it. But like I said, time will tell. The problem with this, though, is just the acclimatization of so many players at once which deteriorates the results that have already not been good, which feed into the image of Graham Potter as an un as a sort of anti-Chelsea manager, so to speak, of what we consider a Chelsea manager, which has deteriorated on his perception from the fans, not being helped by his own rhetoric somewhat. So though that perpetual badness that has been created here is problematic even considering that we're now in a situation where the squad is fully bloated and Guardiola always uses the sentence no bad faces and I'm guessing there's a lot of bad faces at Chelsea right now and it translates by the sheer amount of leakage that goes on at the moment it's not a happy camp and I feel that what by the time it is a fully happy camp, people are going that were brought in with the intention of being long-term. I think that as a United fan, I think that happy camps and unhappy camps all reset in pre-season when you send people off that you don't want to send. I mean, Fabrizio Romano, in the video he did this week, already talked about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang being lined up to go to LAFC, Hakim Ziyech sale that should have gone through, but they were too busy storming the Casadel, Benfica, <laughs> um, Christian Pulisic for sale for 40 million euros. Conor Gallagher, they rejected 40 million pounds plus add-ons from Everton in January. So he's one that they is that is was geared to be one to watch. Already talking about, okay, fair enough. Gabriel Solina and, and Andre Santos aren't currently part of the first team, but they're looking at first team loans. And David Fofana, he re rejected loans from Nice and Galatasaray in January. So that's, you know, there's, there's five already of a squad that they're looking looking to get rid of and I'll be interesting to and then two players going back finishing loans so that's already six six players in and around your in your you know your 33 player squad that you oh. you're you're already looking to trim and I'm interested to see whom you guys feel will be on that chopping block 
we'll go Anchu quickly, then Seb, then Kadis. One person that we need to keep in mind is Romelu Lukaku as well, because he'll be coming back. And uh, because it, mm, it doesn't yeah. look like the way he has been playing at Inter, it doesn't look like they want to keep him for as much money as Chelsea would want to at least cut their losses. So another one to keep in mind. Yes, totally. Two and two. Scored more goals than Chelsea. This, this <laughs> <year>. so, <laughs> you need him. It's not hard. That's a, that's a fact that I didn't like to. Not hard. <laughs> yeah, no. De- Lukaku is definitely one to look out for. And, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't conversation for him maybe to be re- reintegrated back into the squad. I would not be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either, either. Especially considering the very, very hefty wage he's on. We already know that Inter can't pay that yep. and won't, no. which makes a permanent transfer basically impossible because he's not giving up that money. Yeah, him and him and Raheem are on the same 325 a week. That's a big, exactly. big, that's huge yeah, for Premier luck. League. Good luck shedding that. And his depreciation of his own value as an quote-unquote asset has sort of moved him into that no elite club would actually pay that wage on top of a transfer fee for him to move so there probably needs to be a reintegration happening here especially considering Chelsea don't really have a set number nine they have a very good prospect who should be coming back who should be in that conversation but there is no immediate starter and he would fill a need with his main problem in his first stint apparently gone and that being Tom Stuchel Yep. If he's not having pig heads thrown at him at every home game, it's something they should at least be looking out for. Another another argument in favor of Lukaku sticking around is that uh, he, there has been a lot of antics from his end that has uh, made him not seem like one, but he's actually a very intelligent guy. So yeah. Multiple languages. Yeah, yeah. He's very eloquent, has been very mature before age. And that is something that Potter, with an educational background in emotional intelligence, would want to have on his side. So if they end up in a situation where Chelsea are not able to offload him and they are not able to get him, I think Potter would actually potentially like to have someone on his side, someone of Lukaku's ilk, who he believe, who he will believe that uh, he'll be able to work with. So it's something to keep in mind that there's a lot of off-pitch stuff that Lukaku actually does bring that is currently not being considered because of his antics over the last 18 months or so. So yeah, that aspect as well. Yeah. And funnily enough, he actually took on a sort of quasi-mentorship role for some of the young players at Chelsea up until he made that interview. Hmm. But but moving past Lukaku, we have four players out of contract in 24, all in very different predicaments. We have Mateo Kovacic, who seems like the club are willing to sell, but whose value has depreciated both through his frequent injury and his contract being up in 24. Similar situation with Christian Pulisic. I personally don't believe the reported 40 million for him are realistic considering how damaged his value has become over the last season and a half, as well as his contract running out. Obama Yang is a shippable asset, and the fourth, we should talk about it a little later. Please, no, please, no. We are going to. Uh, I think Chelsea will need to ship at least one of their keepers. I personally think Mendy is more likely to go with a sort of number two coming in and kept up keeping the spot if that's where they want to go. Um, Koulibaly is already in a position where he should be looking to move, although a sale of his is basically impossible to 
to finalize in any way. It's not happening. Um, that 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 yeah, that sale is so unless he puts unless he does a Timo and goes, look, I count to my contract. I just want to go play football. Like that that move is. Lovely salary packages are like 295k a week, and you're not losing that at this age. Yeah, for another three years. Yeah, yeah. not happening. Um, the most sellable asset in the entire squad, bar from one who we're still yet to talk about, is Conor Gallagher. Yep. Who fills a versatile role in a squad, but is someone they should be looking at selling, considering he's a homegrown. It's very sellable asset who can bring in quite a lot of money and who was it that reported I think it was David Ornstein that selling homegrown players fits in differently with the FFP sort of um, calculation well yeah because you effectively get them exactly, for nothing yeah. so the entire profit is pure profit exactly that leads very nicely onto my question of with Chelsea having lots of young talent in the stable that are on loan at other Premier League clubs, is that who's going to be the full guys for these transfer outspend? Is it going to be a case of sorry boys, you know, Chelsea is not going to be the one for you? Exactly, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Hudson-Odoi, Mason Mount. Ruben is probably one that needs to stay simply because he fills a versatile role and they can't be looking at too many players. If they let Ruben go, they have basically no midfield with Gallagher and Kovacic left. So they would need to bring in three midfielders. Um, the other ones are different. One more point, though. So I, I think that's a good that's a good that's a good exercise. Who who are Chelsea's first eleven? We'll go, come on to that because I still have one question mark here, one very big one. In I tried, Cadus. I tried to protect you. Petrified of talking about it. <laughs> so Mason Mount's contract is up in twenty four. The current newest status that contract talks have stalled, and the the ownership's desire to lower the wage bill while having a guy who's been perpetually underpaid wanting a very big salary doesn't make it seem like an agreement is imminent slash seems likely currently. So just as a reference for listeners... He is reportedly on £80,000 a week, which makes him the sixth lowest paid player. And the ones below are Edouard Mendy, Conor Gallagher, Trevor Chalobah, Armando Brogia, and Marcos Bettinelli, the third choice keeper. All of them effectively kids at the academy, bar Mendy. Ruben Loftus-Cheek earns double his money. Yes. That, that wage bill is broken. Yep. Yeah, this and this is this has always been the, this is the the conundrum that we're in right now because on one hand we have a board that are, are, are adamant about bringing the wage bill down, and on the other hand we have players quite recently who have signed who are on pretty high wages. So we we don't actually know exactly what the the structure or what has been offered. I do know that there there has been a heavy. Um, a, a heavy a heavy push towards incentives um, to kind of obviously bring bring that wage up. Um, but on, on the flip side, the, the Chelsea fan base is quite divided with Mason Mount. Um, I don't understand why. I think he's a phenomenal player. He's been an, an absolute gem um, in regards to well since since he since he came into the team. But 
at the same time, it's going to be very, very, it's going to be a bit of a weird one. One thing that I've actually theorised is that there has been one player that we have been linked with, but kind of not linked with, but then linked with again, which is Arsene um, Zakarian. I don't want to, I may have butchered his name, so I do apologise. There has now been some rumours about Chelsea potentially going back in for him um, in the summertime. And I have a feeling that that may be linked to the fact that we have a bit of a, stall, a stalemate with, with Mason Mount because I believe the board has tried to negotiate twice with him and both of the proposals have been um, rejected. So I have a feeling that that may be in the balance in regards to how far we get with those conversations. Um, you know, Does so- it also seem likely to you that he might really become the fall guy of wanting to regulate the wage bill and him being up for a contract renewal at this time. It could be. It, he it might could, seem to be. be the sacrificial lamb that needs to be sacrificed here. Is is that not Angola Kante on £290 million a week? No, because they're apparently offering him a new contract without working legs. N- not for that money, surely. He's the third highest paid in the I squad. I think he's taking... I don't think so either. I, I don't think so either. Even if you are to bring him down from 290 it wouldn't be like 100 Like It would be still comparable to 90 well, I reckon, as uh, to be to to be the speculator, if you're looking to get rid of Ziak on a hundred, and you you could easily give him Ziak money plus some incentives. There's Pierre Mkhabaniam. That's 160 off your wage bill. Um, Pulisic is 150 off your wage bill. Uh, if you do get rid of Loftus Cheek, that's 120. Jorginho is giving you 110 off the wage bill. You know, there's the there's 600 that you know there's just north of 500, 600k a week off the wage bill. I'm sure that negotiations will be very different in the summer once they start to see wages off and see how much money they do have to play. And I think the players themselves know that. The problem here is though that once he's in the negotiation position in the summer, that's when clubs can offer him a better sporting project plus big money because there are other teams that have shed their wage bill to incorporate one or two very very big wage players in there so then Chelsea's position becomes even harder to negotiate in I, w- I would agree, but I would also say he is a local boy. He did come up through the academy. Like I know football doesn't have you know doesn't necessarily have loyalties and all the rest of it, but I do feel that it's a very unique circumstance of person they're negotiating with yeah. that may may not go play for an Arsenal or a Tottenham, who you know, which are other big six clubs. He could play with his best friend once more. <laughs> I'm just saying, and not at Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting so for that. West Ham, then. is that the downgrade? <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. It is, it is a conundrum that we're in right now. But I do believe that the, the current state that we are in right now, and, and 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 the fact that there are still a lot of question marks in terms of who is going to be leaving and who's actually going to be coming in in the summertime. Um, I believe that, you know, summertime will probably be, be the best time to negotiate. Yes, other clubs can get involved and, and, and put their, you know, put, put the feelers out. However, you know, we're going to have to kind of leave that one down to fate. But I, I do believe that we should keep an eye out for, for Arsene. I believe that that may be the, the tipping point in regards to how that could potentially go. He seems like the potential backup if negotiations go south, doesn't he? I think so too. I Me think too, so bro. too. Me too. But you know, I, I, I'm not one for sentiment. I've seen a lot of of, of my of my favorite players leave the club. Um, you know, big up Eden Hazard. 
you know. So I think for me personally, we, we have to kind of really look at how we're going to build this team. And if Mason Mount doesn't see himself as a part of that, then, you know, we're going to have to cut our losses. Yeah. And, and the, he, is, he is one player that if we did sell, we could get a really good return on because I do believe that he would he would walk into any midfield in the top six, in my Even opinion. with one year left, he will probably command a very big fee, yeah. 100%, 100%. And I think to summarise and finish, I think a good exercise would be to do the job that the Chelsea backroom staff should be doing and work out what Chelsea's best 11 is, what their squad you would keep. And if you were to get rid of people, what holes in the squad need recruiting for? I think as a three-way with your intelligence as a group, be really interested to see what you come up with. I'm glad you are because I've actually got Graham Potter on the phone as we speak, so he's going to be taking some notes. <laughs> take some notes today. Well, I, as a behind the scene, I live 20 minutes from Cobham, so I'll take this. I'll take the sheet over and post it through the post box for you boys. <laughs> now, the problem with this exercise, though, is that, and this goes back to the critique of Potter, is that a you're recruiting for a very very flexible coach whose flexibility in elite management might become his downfall we've yeah. seen similar things with Emery who Edu, uh, uh, Edu Gaspar has said publicly that his versatility in wanting to change teams week by week has led to them not being able to recruit efficiently enough to yeah. suit his style so that might become a problem the other problem is that we don't know what he's planning to do because he's basically abandoned his entire strategy post-World Cup and has created a sort of middle-of-the-road, neither-here-nor-there approach that has sort of hamstrung them even more in a way, at least short-term. I, I think we should assume that he will play what he tried to do pre-World Cup once pre-season. So the three-at-the-back with wing-backs solution that he was playing to start with, I think we will base it on that principle. And I think we should base it on the football manager rule of two in every position. So two keepers, two fullbacks, two left, two right. I think that that way we can cut we can cut who we need to cut. I I, th I think that's a sensible thing to do because that seems to be what he wants to do outside of compromising for results. Like that's his ideal sitch. I think it would be easier to re really go with the sort of three, two, four, one sort of ish thing because even his four at the back formations turn Sweet. out that way in possession anyway so we're basically just looking cool. for profiles here rather than positions uh, a nice call back to our previous podcast positionism versus relationism <laughs> <laughs> but yeah go ahead start well, start with keepers do we keep the two i believe that mendy will be going i don't think that he has a place here at the squad anymore um the kepper kepper is going to be a bit of a, a, a weird one because Again, it looked like he was going out the door, but it, it seems that he may potentially have a place. So I'll probably say for now, Kepper and Gabriel Salina. Uh, I do like him. I think he's a he's a he's a good player. Whether he goes out on loan or not is another thing. But yeah, I'd say those are the, the two for me. Cool. Anyone disagree? I know. I know Sebastian will probably disagree with me. Awesome. So back three. I think is it safe to include Benoit Bedwashile as the left centre back? Yeah. <laughs> Kulabali stays right like you're not shifting that wage you're cancelling his contract if he wants to or not I don't think Kulabali is moving on I'd be surprised if he is and uh, given the fact that they have been uh, 
and uh, they are talking to to extend uh, Thiago Silva's contract as well. I think he's sticking around as well. And I think even at 39, yes, he, he will be a part of the first team going into next season. So if we are talking back three, I think he plays a cent- he plays the role of the central center defense center back alongside uh, Kalidou Koulibaly. That's where I have him as well. Awesome. And then go on, what's your back that three? Back three, but Benoit Badia Shield, Thiago Silva, and uh, uh, who's who's uh, Kalidou Koulibaly. I say Fofana. I have Reese James there. Koulibaly on the right of the three. Fofana, if he, if he does come back, I think uh, I have... Uh, there are a few questions that I have with his fitness. And if we are talking long-term, then yes. Long-term, yes. Wesley Fofana, alongside an experienced head, will be a quite a sound setting. But uh, for the time being, assuming that Chago Silva is here to stay and Kalidou Koulibaly is as well, I, I would put Koulibaly ahead of uh, Fofana, at least for the time being. Yeah. If I was to go for the back three, it would be between Badiashili or Levy Colwell. On the left, Thiago Silva in the middle. And then I'd actually have Reese James as the, as a right-sided. Because if you have someone like Balogusto who's going to be playing, I, I believe that may be, may be a better shout for me. So you're basically creating options here, right? So on the right, we have a central defender left back in... Uh, central defender right back and Reese James who can play there if you want to asymmetrically move that side if you want to move it the other side you can put Kokorea in the back three um, otherwise you have the two normal wing backs but we'll come on to those central of the three you can put either Silva or Wesley Fofana or anybody else in there or Trevor Chalaba exactly or Trevor Chalaba who can, who's also an able deputy at right centre back does Trevor Chalaba stay? He's that- a versatile, valuable option. I think he stays. Um, and yeah, Levi Colwell should definitely be reintegrated into the squad. Because there's four centre-backs, plus a wing-back that can play centre-back. That's five. So he's fifth on the list, or sixth on the list. Is that somebody that moves to make money for the I books? think Trevor Chalaba offers an option that Chelsea don't necessarily have in abundance. That is a defensive midfield. Yeah. If you want that kind of an option, because uh, if you want someone who's transitioning from back to front, I think Trevor Chalaba offers a profile that Chelsea in the midfield do not have. So as an option, you need to keep him that keep him in keeping the midfield keeping the midfield in mind rather than the centre back issue. Cool. The, I do want to add that the board did mention that they wanted to play a back four. That, that, so I just wanted to add that in there. <laughs> okay. That's why I put one of the right slash left backs into the back three so we can sort of move things around there. It's basically the same thing. Do we just, should we just scrap this and potter out? <laughs> just stop here. I've got the banners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll stick with the three because that's what we tried. Left wing backs. Well, Cucurella yeah. and Ben Chilwell. Would be the Who team. would you start? Ben Chilwell, one hundred percent. Cool. Now we get interested. Midfield. Who do you start? Who do you want to get rid of? Who do you think will be here in the summer? What is your ideal situation? I'll just say this quickly for me, person. In terms of the options that we have right now for balance, I would say Enzo Fernandez and Zachariah. I think those that would probably for me that's our best balance. Um, whether Zachariah stays is is we don't know as much so I mean let's assume he goes okay so if he goes to bring in I would like someone a, a Declan Rice because again he can transition into the back into that back three if needs be um, and that's for me perfect the perfect double pivot okay so so we've got Enzo and squad blank recruit in summer 
Cool. Any, any, anybody else want to counter? I have Enzo and Caicedo. Ooh. Okay, so that's squad blank recruiting summer. Yep. My backups would be Andre Santos and Ruben Loftus-Cheek because everybody else is left at that point in midfield. And in deep <laughs> midfield anyway. I see your game. <laughs> so you, you, you wouldn't try and renew? With whom? Uh, Kovacic. He's not reliable enough for me. I... I, I... I love him as a player, but he really isn't reliable enough. So I think he, he sees go, himself as a starter anyway, and he's mm. the parallel to Enzo. And in that situation, Enzo starts 90% of the time, so it'd be best for both parties to move on, I think. I agree. It would also be merited to, nope. to renew <clears throat> uh, Dennis Zaccaria. So you just have a depth option there, so you don't have to rely on Andres Santos as 18. And you could probably get him for cheap yeah. because Juventus are breaking yeah. laws. They probably need to sell people. Yeah, the criminality comes in hand there. <laughs> Criminal tax. <laughs> for educational purposes, we'll leave blank recruit in summer. Yes. Cool. So more money being spent. Half, that was half a plan. <laughs> <laughs> we will, we will. Okay, so attacking midfielders slash wider players. Ooh, well. I have Raheem Sterling and Christopher Nkunku as left-hand side options and Harvards and Noni Maruweke as right-hand side options. Cool. I yeah. don't think they'll be able to shift Kai. Nor do I think that should they. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Flapped out someone there, but again, we'll have to see if he finds an agreement or not otherwise he would go in one of the inside roles as well <laughs> he's not he's not going to Arsenal Seb he's not he wants we, to we play need to with kind of dis, let's again. just remove that idea right now he's already <laughs> he's already saying how much he loves Arsene Wenger I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> and then is that Lukaku in the middle Lukaku then? or Breuer I would say I would say Breuer in the middle for me personally cool. I think he has the potential to really Breakthrough once. That's all right. They can both go down. We haven't gone left wing back as well. Mm, I, but, I mean, duh. Uh, right wing back. Sorry. Gusto, no. And then Gusto, Reese James, or Reese Sterling, right. or some of the wingers who play wide. Yep. In a sort of in possession thing. And if we are if you are going to talk about the three to four one, the three to four one system, if you are going to talk about it, it's better. It's important to keep in mind that Reese James is both prolific as a right back and he can play in centre defence as well because he did that at Wigan. He's done that a couple of times yeah. in, uh, for Chelsea as well and he's been quite experienced in doing that. He, he, he can do that quite well, transitioning from RB to the uh, I actually see him deeper long term. I think with his body build and his susceptibility to injuries and his technical quality, I think he will find himself in a deeper role where he's not being asked to exert himself physically as much as he is currently once the team clicks around him I think so too actually when he was when he was in um, the championship team of the season I think that's when he played DM for Wigan for a large part of that season so I'm going to ask a question now we've got 18 we've got a squad of 18 you want roughly a squad of 23 that means there's five players we've already discussed the need for a centre midfielder. Where else is there a need in the squad? For me personally, a DM is some as someone that we we haven't we, we haven't replaced Matic since he's left the squad. Um, that's always been an area that we we need and someone up front. Obviously, Breuer is a good prospect, but he's not someone I would want to rely on for the entire season. But to be honest, there isn't really that, that's it really. I don't necessarily think that we have to bring in any, anyone else at this moment in time. So CM, DM, yeah, that, Those striker. are actually the three I've written down again. D, DM, DM, striker. Mm. Cool. 
21 plus two Kaiser kids. I think if Kaiser arrives, we don't really need to talk about it in the centre midfielder because that would be Enzo and Kaiser the done. Yeah, yeah, but we yeah. we have no idea what's going to happen rice. in the summer. So I'm trying to stick to just positions because uh, you know, devil's advocate, Chelsea come in for 80 million for Caicedo without the without um, Champions League. You've got Liverpool who need to rebuild their midfield. Manchester United will spend money if they make Champions League football because they need centre midfielders. And if the ownership changes. Yes, exactly that. They'll probably go for a big rebuild this summer from what the media is saying. Yes, yes. And Arsenal will look to go back into Caicedo because if they have the money from Champions League football and being Premier League winners, they need to improve the squad to maintain Mm. that wave. They're not going for Casado though. Pretty obvious who they're going for. Yeah, yes, we know you I, want you want to eat I'm, rice at I'm the Emirates. I'm not saying I want it. I'm saying he wants it. That's what David Ornstein. <laughs> I'm saying Klopp wants it. That's what David Ornstein's saying. I'm just quoting David Ornstein here with my own red-colored glasses. <laughs> so on your on your hit list is Aubameyang, Pulisic, Ziyech, Kovacic. We presume that you want. We want Dennis Sakaria back. Gallagher. And then, that's it. Gallagher, we assume, is going to go according to Mr. Romano. And the big question of Renew Kante or not. Yes, Renew Kante or not. That, well, apparently that's, that's more or less happening, so. Cool. That's right. That's, that's 22. We need to specify what kind of striker would we be signing because if the situations are going the way we assume they're going, signing a striker would be nigh on impossible because the striker market offers you very little apart from the very big names we're hearing. You have the option of Tammy Abraham, who I think, what's that, 60 to 80, the, re- uh, the rebuy? 60, 60. 60. I think it, I think it goes 60, 80... Yeah. Uh, in the third year, but it, it is uh, that is the range it's in. Yeah. yeah, and then you're on to either crazy money on Ossiman or nothing on Marcus Turem, who isn't really the profile needed, as well as not quite being at the level. Yeah, and considering the prospect of moving on Lukaku is slim at best. Signing a striker at that point with Broya, Fofana, and Lukaku in the squad on huge money becomes now impossible. You know, I, I agree. And to be honest with you, I don't think, unless we go in for someone big like an Ossenheimer, I don't think that we will be bringing in someone new in that position in the summertime. I do believe potentially that the DM would be the, the next step. Yeah. Um, obviously, this, this conversation around that. I wouldn't be too fussed if we didn't actually bring in another I mean, they already wanted to spunk like 50 million on Ome Olavia in the summer window on the last day after he played three Premier League games. In the summer that bring he actually in. arrived bring at the club. In. So that, that's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three Premier League games, he played good. Let's drop 50 on him. <laughs> Listen, do not, do, do not doubt the Todd Meister. It's all going to make sense. This is the thing. It's all going to make sense. There's a method behind the madness, people. Keep your eyes peeled, um, but no, do I you do. Trust yeah. his cooking, though. I do. I, I you know what? I, I, I tell you, the, the the main thing that I can get behind is that even though the process has been a little bit crazy, 
there seems to be a structure. It just seems like he's just trying to do it in a very, very lavish and sparkly way. But there, there does seem to be a structure. And as someone who has been crying out for that for a very, very long time, especially seeing the decline from since 2017, yeah, I, I would take that over what I've been seeing over the past few years any day. And that is, if you're listening, Chelsea, that is your squad for next season. Three players, we only three that you need to sign, no more. And I think to round off, Graham Potter, will he be allowed to see out the project or will fan sentiment lead to a replacement? Or is he even capable, in your opinions, of doing the job that is necessary at Chelsea? Just to, off the bat with my bias, I think he is. I think all this nice guy, oh, you're too nice to be in football, um, I think is a load of rubbish. I think as, as somebody who who studies or studied some you know stuff around leadership and for somebody who is a person who got to be a professional manager, beat those percentages, who studied how to build culture and how to organize people, I think the sentiment around him being a nice guy is really naive and really weird to hear because like he's he's probably one of the most academically qualified coaches to ever be in the premier league in a unique situation which like we said at the beginning of the squad sorry beginning of this of of the podcast with a 34 man squad a 33 man squad yeah and my take on potter is this is, is quite simple since he has come into the club i think he represents the the antithesis of what we would actually view the, the model Chelsea manager um, archetype. You know, when you when you're looking at characters such as Jose Mourinho, Conte, very very brash, very in your face kind of characters, and I feel that that in addition to the fact that we sacked Tuchel and and that didn't sit well with a lot of the Chelsea fans, and and now that he's in Tuchel's place. We're now looking at this bad run of form as a way to bash him, to kind of almost project our anger on the decision that the board made to sack Tuchel. But under Tuchel, we were also having those kind of results where it was up and down. You know, the only difference was we won a Champions League. Um, not just that, he also represents the, the shift in, like I've said many times in the, in the podcast, the shift in culture. Um, and what we're seeing right now with Chelsea, there is a very, very big commitment to to making sure that we have a long-term stable model though some may argue that you know that that's probably not what it looks like I can't predict the future if we lose the next five games like I said I don't know what the conversation is going to be um but for me personally I would rather give him a go because like like we said he's coming to a club where you know there, there has been no stability where the where a lot of the players have one side one eye out out the door and then bringing in, you know, 50 new players in January, you're then asking him to to do more or less an impossible job. So, you know, for me personally, it's about giving him time. It's about, again, trusting the process, um, give him a pre-season and then we can judge him properly next season when, you know, we have outgoings and, and, and the full squad, well, the squad, a bit more of a shape of what he wants to, to have within that squad. Um, but yeah, no, listen, I, I have issues with Chelsea fans. I think a lot of Chelsea fans need to just understand that we are a little bit entitled. We are we are very much used to seeing us win now and ask questions later. But that method has not served us well as we are we are now seeing we're now seeing well. So yeah. I, I do believe he will stay if the if the results do improve, which I will I believe they will. Um but if they don't, then you know, 
like I said, that's another conversation to have. I think there's a short-term danger and long-term concerns here. Short-term danger is quite obvious. The form is quite bad. The mood has become quite bad, not just externally with the crowd starting to go against them, but also internally with the sheer amount of leakage going on. Um, and a few more bad results could tip that in the direction of it becoming very toxic. They've already sang Thomas Tuchel's name. They've already sung Roman Abramovich's name, which is another story entirely. So there's short-term concerns there, that short-term dangers there that aren't really helped by his rhetoric, not necessarily him as a person, just him in a crisis putting out statements like they're giving everything, this is this is going well, et cetera, et cetera. He's starting to take on a quite uncomfortable, passive-aggressive tone to sort of fight back against it. And the entire situation just feels like it needs a relief. Otherwise, it could turn quite badly from all sides. That's the short-term thing. Long-term, he could turn out to be a very good manager and this entire thing is predicated on the deal that they gave him when they appointed him makes it almost impossible for them to sack him that's another thing he has their trust and he has a contract that solidifies that trust however his adaptability and his way of managing at brighton as well as the hindsight situation of looking how Brighton are now and seeing problems that are quite similar with him running Chelsea and him running Brighton in the sense of Brighton were under Graham Potter one of the best teams in the Premier League in the first and second thirds but they've always had problems in the last third we've had the XG jokes going on his entire reign and seeing Roberto De Zerbi come into Brighton and put dangerous players in more threatening positions for them to score more regularly and their goal scoring picking up at the same time Chelsea's trots is a concerning sign as well as his adaptability being a potential problem with long-term recruitment are concerns that he could overcome but are still present at the current moment those would be my concerns but he could very well turn out to be successful if it doesn't turn toxic before then. Yeah, I, I mean, just quickly on that before Anch gives his opinion, I do, I do, do wonder. Um, There's a great video by Tifo by John McKenzie talking about how the underlying models are suggesting that things are on the up now. It was on an upward trend. Um, I also want to ask what Chelsea fans as a whole. And, you know, feel free to at us on Twitter with your opinions. Um, what you expect a coach to say, what you're asking, what you want them to say in those interviews under yeah. those circumstances. When he's got players that have come in like three weeks ago playing, you know, midweek weekend, midweek weekend, you travel the day before. So, and you, you know, you either travel the night after the game and then have a day off. So really you're doing one training session, one proper training session between games 
and that won't be at a hundred percent intensity. I genuinely do. I do wonder, you know, what what do you want your manager to say? What like what what would be content? There is a sense going on here of both a Chelsea fans historically wanting a sort of gravitas macho type individual, which Graham Potter just isn't, and the sort of bad treatment he's gotten is quite unfair. And on the other hand, um, what do I want to say on the other hand? Say it. You're an Arsenal Uh, fan. Everyone will just assume you're being biased anyway. (laughs) Right, right. Essentially, Chelsea is in the washing machine at the moment. In this current predicament, they're on full spin cycle. Everything you can say that is bad at Chelsea is probably bad. Because we can say whatever the fuck we want and it's everyone is going to believe it because they're in this current situation. They're on spin cycle and that's not going to change until results pick up. And at that point, everyone is fallible to everything. Yep, I agree. I agree. And as a Chelsea fan, to be honest with you, I, 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 I haven't got any sort of opinion or, or answer for what I expect him to sound like or I don't care about that. I've, I've, had, I've had enough managers coming in who are very good in press conferences and I'm seeing... <sighs> just drivel week in, week out and inconsistencies throughout the team. So I don't care. I, I, <laughs> Jose Mourinho. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I, I love him. I love him, but exactly. You know, Graham Potter could come in and, and, and not say anything. He could just come in with with, 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 with masking tape over his mouth and I, I don't care. What I want to see is just consistency in the in the team. I want, what I want to see is, is consistent results and that's going to come. That's going to come. I mean, just playing quality wise, it will come. Like you're not the tenth bet, you're not the tenth worst squad in the in the league. Yeah, well, there's just players who don't know each other on first name basis. Yeah, that's essentially the problem. Yeah, true. And some players that don't even like each other, you know. But but Chelsea fans again, Chelsea, a lot of Chelsea fans are entitled, and and that's just the reality of it, you know. And and, and they're hurt, and you know, a lot a lot of the Chelsea fans, especially online, are probably were only around in the Roman Abramovich area. They don't they don't know they don't know the the, the glory the glory days. In the, in the mid nineties, Glenn Huddle would kill it. Uh, you know they don't know the, those glory the glory days. So you know, like I said, it's, it's going to take some time. But like everyone has said, the noise will probably start to simmer when we start to see results. Let's hope that we beat Tottenham because I'm probably going to go on a break. If if, if, <laughs> if we lose, you probably won't see me for the next the next That's year. That's so. one of the points where it could get really really ugly with the general support. It could. It could. It could, 100%. Do we know if Antonio Conte is going to be at that game? He's because not if going he is, to. Chelsea nope. will win. Oh, okay, then, yeah. If it's, if it's Mr. Assistant, you, you might be in trouble. 100% win rate that guy has. We probably will be. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, that that they haven't got a midfield and their keeper is still yeah. injured, so, so, you know. Chelsea came so they'll probably win about 3 now. Being, being very chaotic. <laughs> Anch, anything and, uh, to say to round up? Chelsea came into this season knowing that this was going to be a lot of chaotic, uh, a chaotic time for them by the very virtue of how things ended for them last season. The way they have gone about whether player acquisition is concerned or uh, the managerial turnaround is concerned, they have exponentially increased the degree of disorder that already existed at the club based on what they had. And in Graham Potter, by the virtue of basically who he is, they have added more disorder to the mix because the the fans don't take to him uh, because he's just not the Mourinho that they are still deeply... In, in in the deep of it all still in love with still enamored by him and he's not that personality so they they, they need to realize that they need to accept that so uh, the, the thing is the organizers can say that we are in here for the long term and uh, we are not going to make knee-jerk decisions but everyone has a ceiling 
and there will be a point at which beyond which the results start dictating what Todd Bowley does and as much as he will better, he'll know better than to come just appease the fans all the time and just go with the fans all the time but if it comes down to him having to show everyone once again that I am the one in charge and I am taking actions I am doing something Graham Potter may as well walk if the results don't start picking up soon so as someone who likes to look at football from an analytical sense and at least try to learn uh, from that side I would like to see him stick around and I would like to see him get a chance to be able to control this order because uh, he hasn't gave, he, he deserves a chance to do so and uh, I want to see what he does in a, in a system that is not designed to completely uh, it, it, it's a very hard it's a very hard time for him to be in this in Chelsea right now so I want to see how he basically navigates the ship to, through these very turbulent waters so that's my take from uh, as a neutral but uh, as a United fan in the immortal words of angry rant man and I'll whisper this as slowly as he yells at get out get him out <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting for the bombshell. Angry Rentman's heart rate could explode at any moment. Currently, it's not looking good for him. But yeah, I think I think on that we'll finish up our what is a two-parter on Chelsea. Um, thank you, Ange. Thank you, Cadus. Thank you, Seb. Thank you very much for your lengthy and in-depth opinions and analysis. This has been another Jogo Bonito football social. We wish you well. Follow us on socials. Tell us where you agree, where you disagree. And we look forward to you enjoying this pub. Thank you very much and take care. Good evening all. Mm-hmm.